Question for you. If I spent a day with you in your life, would I find a sense of stability that allows you to move with calmness and clarity? Or would I find you struggling with life? From the man who wrote the book on human behavior, a special edition, Richard Flint Podcast. Let's talk about it. Let's talk human behavior. Over the years of working with human behavior, I found the two things most people want for their life is stability and simplicity. Yet the two things that most people don't have for their life are stability and simplicity. Why? Because so many lives are grounded in confusion. They get up each day and continue a journey designed to paralyze them, but at the same time talk about what they're going to do with their tomorrow. The tragedy is they have convinced themselves that they're actually going to do it. And then one day they wake up at the end of their life and realize that they have designed and lived in this circle of sameness and that all they have said they were going to do with their life has become unfulfilled words. I've said this to you before, you are exactly in your life where you plan on being. You can argue with that thought all you want, but look at your life. Look at where you are. Study your behavior and see how you are in what you have designed and accepted for your life. I've spent most of my adult life challenging people to look at the structure of their life. I ask them daily, who are you at the core of your being? Is that the person you want to be? You see, all of us have a core. There's a center place in our life that defines who we are. Some call it your belief center. Others call it your self-confidence. Call it what you want. But it's the center place in your life where the foundation of who you are comes from. Stored there are the beliefs you use to bring structure to your life. That structure is visible through your behavior which forms the support beams that hold you in place. For most people. For most people, it's too frightening to challenge that center place where they have laid their foundation. If that center place is never challenged, there is no improvement in your life. I tell my private coaching students, at some point in our journey, you're not going to like me. In fact, you're going to hate me. You're going to enjoy our journey as long as we're peeling the onion. But when we get to the core and you're going to have to face the real design to your life, the challenge is going to be frightening to you. They all look at me funny and tell me, Richard, that's the others you have worked with. I'm stronger than that. I smile and walk forward with them. Then at some point in our journey, they find I know what I'm talking about. It's at that point where their life is really tested. It is at that point where truth is what they have to come face to face with, and that's not always easy. Why is this center place, this foundation, this core so important? Because that's where you come face to face with you, and it's where your growth occurs. Your beliefs are stored there. It unveils who you see yourself as, and no games can be played there. It destroys the negative when you listen and implement At that place, it addresses your inconsistencies. It teaches you here from your behavior. Internal reservoir creates your momentum. It opens you if you can handle it. Nowhere else in your life than at your core is truth more profound. Here's what I've learned. 
Everyone has this center place, but most people seek to avoid it. Our center place is where we can find the ultimate for life. But because many never get back there, they settle for what is, rather than for what can be. The people who want to grow understand the need to get back to their core, to go home to their center place of beliefs, to allow that center place to create their visual definition of who they are and what they're striving to obtain for their life. Why? Why would one settle when they could have something better? The two largest reasons I have found are these. The old tapes that continued to collide with what their life was designed to be. The need to prove their self, which creates an overwhelming sense of peer pressure. Please hear me. The further we get away from our center place, the more acceptant we become of opinions. Where there's not a solid point doorway, where we examine by passing everything through our beliefs, we weaken the structure of our life, which puts too much stress on the support beams of our life. And then our life becomes a jungle driven by doubts and fears. My crusade is to help people get back to their center place, to reexamine their behaviors that they've been using to define their life. This means becoming a person who is seeking to strengthen their life from the inside out, not someone living through what others are throwing at them. I've wanted to do a show on this, but have wrestled with how open would people be to having their inconsistencies challenged. Recently, I was talking with our guest today and walked away knowing this is the person I can do this show with. He is one of the highest people of integrity I've ever met. He's also strange enough to understand my thinking and secure enough to challenge my life's definitions. Why? Because I feel he shares the same crusade that I am on in seeking to help people f- break free of their self-contained prisons because these are prisons that they have created for their life. My guest is Dr. Larry Markson. Larry, I am so glad to have you join us. And I'm very happy to be here. It is good to hear your voice, my friend. You too, buddy. Larry, I believe that no one enters our life by accident. And it's been a part of every one of these shows to let our listening audience know how we connected. So how did we meet? You said you have something that I don't even know. Well, you don't know, because at that time I was running a uh, practice management uh, consulting firm called the Master Circle, and uh, I hired someone to take the famous guest speaking spot at an upcoming seminar. And when that person backed out, I was sort of swimming around, and someone said, why don't you call Richard Flint? And I, of course, in all my wisdom, said, Richard who? You know, the who. (laughs) And they said, take him, take him, and I had faith in this person. That faith was transferred from him to me, and so I gave you a call. And when I got off the phone, I knew, like you just said you knew, I knew I had something positive. And then when you came to make your 
your appearance, your guest speaking appearance, and you walked out on a stage on your trademark with your trademarked uh, Hawaiian loud flowery colored shirt and light pants and these and yellow shoes and things like that. I said, "Oh my God!" Because I was used to, and my image was a shirt and a tie. And I was sitting in the audience waiting to listen to you, and I wanted to really walk up on stage and grab you <laughs> off. But I thought I'd sit down and shut my mouth for a change. And Richard, I need to tell you. Three minutes into your talk, I was mesmerized. I was I was caught up with your style. I saw your no holds barred truth coming out, and I sat there. And from that moment on, you became one of my heroes. Wow, thank you, Larry. Listen, our listening audience probably does not know you, so could you tell them a little bit about who is Dr. Larry Markson? Well, I'm just an average person like you and like everyone else listening to this. And I grew up in New York City, and uh, I was a product of what's now labeled as dysfunctional uh, family. Low self-esteem, limited thinking parents who were pretty good people, but they didn't understand the laws that you and I adhere to and teach as we travel around the country. So um, I was one of those people that grew up, and I failed for the first 30 years of my life. I failed in life. I failed in marriage. I failed monetarily and spiritually. I failed in private uh, practice. I was a doctor of chiropractic in practice in New York, um, and I failed. And then I went to a seminar, and I heard someone just like you. And then instantly it turned on. I walked out of that seminar just knowing that if someone else could become more successful and happy and fulfilled in their life and see a bigger vision, then I could too. And I decided right then to set upon uh, a track or a path that could lead me to success. And it took about 10 years. I studied, I read, I listened to people like you. I listened to the CDs, tape cassettes in those days. I read all the books. And the more I started to copy, mimic, plagiarize, and steal the attitudes, actions, and procedures of people more successful than I was, success started to come to me. In fact, it started to run toward me. It took me years to understand it. So all I understood then is if, I can, if you can do it, I can do it. And so that's my story. <laughs> and you're sticking to it. Yeah, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> you are a creator, a teacher, an author, a presenter, a person who for years has studied human behavior. When you look at the average person, who's walking through life. What do you see? Richard, I see potential. I see more potential in most people than they see in themselves. I see people who have copied and mimicked the attitudes and actions of their mothers and their fathers and their teachers and their preachers and anyone who came before them that taught them limited thinking. And I see in them that each one of them in their personal lives and their professional lives with regard to their monetary wherewithal in any dimension of their behavior could be more successful. That's what I see. When you see these people with potential and you see them wasting that potential, does it give you sort of an empty feeling inside and just wonder, why can't they see what I see? Uh, no, because I was one of them. And they don't know. They don't know what they don't know. They're unconscious incompetence. But, you know, when I look at them, they, what they do is they repeat their past. They repeat their concepts and their visions and their insecurities. And they repeat and run in their mind all their failures or that I'm not deserving of being successful and I'm not as smart as someone else. And they 
repeat this mantra of negativity that they they learn from newspapers and, and friends that have failed and their circle of sameness, as you call it, and so they don't know any better. So I, I get a little frustrated, of course, because I'd like to shake them from their lethargy and implant the CD into their brain to change the way they think, but I understand that it takes time, and it's a process. It took me years and years and years to really understand, although success came before the understanding. To me, it, it just it, it rattles me from the inside because they're intelligent and they know what they're doing. Uh, but I, th- I guess what you're right is that they're stuck in that circle in their life. Totally. I think everyone that I've ever met wants more. They want to be more. They want to have more. They want to do more. They really want to. But I think fear is the thing that causes them to put their foot on the brake of achievement. Would it be correct to say that you're a very principle-driven person? Well, that's, you know, I'm just an average guy, and I'd like to say yes, uh, because I believe in principles. I strongly believe in principles, especially the principles that guide the universe. But I'm human, like most people, and I make mistakes. But I, I, I do believe in the major, most important principle to me, Richard, is the law of cause and effect. Om Kitam Nama, the law of cause and effect. What goes around comes around for every action is an equal and opposite reaction. That's the principle that I use to guide my life. Would it be correct to say that you've dedicated your life to seeking to help people mentally, emotionally, and physically? Oh, I think so. That's why I'm happy at what I do. Every day I wake up, I cannot wait to help other people, and the results astound me, even to this day. How many people grow? How many people get on track with what you and I teach? How many people read the books and listen to the tapes and are really great people and, and ready to break out and to hit their home run? And they do. That's what's amazing. They do, which means what we teach has value. You do uh, an experience called the cabin, and this is where you invite X amount of really chiropractors that go with you to a cabin for a while. And in that, it's a great experience. And I remember the day we said at uh, Boca West in the clubhouse after we had played golf and you'd taken some of my money. Um, ah. You like that. <laughs> I know that. But... We were talking about one of the major components that has to come out of people is this element of fear. And when you get them in the cabin, how strong is that fear? First, let me say it's called the cabin experience because it's an experience. The cabin is the physical building, but it could be anywhere. And it's not only for chiropractors. I deal with people from all walks of life. But, quote, unquote, my fame was made in the practice management world, mostly in the chiropractic profession. So the fear Everyone, everyone seems to have it. Now, I could say to you that over the years, I had it as a child, but now I'm proud to say that the two things that I've learned, educatedly learned to eliminate so I no longer emotionally feel them, is fear, and I don't have any guilt anymore because I find them to be valueless emotions. And when I say fear, I'm not talking about if there's a hungry lion charging at me, I'm not going to feel fear. I'm talking about the everyday fears, the fears of uh, attempting to do something and not making, the fears of being embarrassed, the fears of that uh, if I don't do something well, I'll feel worse about myself than I already do. And that's rampant in every single person. In fact, Mark Victor Hansen, who you know and I know, says fear is false, evidence appearing is real. People take all these examples and illustrations and hypotheses and, and 
twins and parallels, and they package it in their own mind, and it becomes a fear, an emotional stumbling block, something that stops them from achieving when, if, they could change their attitude, they could. So fear stops more people. And, and what I have found out, Rich, and I think you agree, if we can ameliorate the fear, lessen it or cause it to go away, as in my case, which takes a lot of time, then the expansion and the positivity and the energy field from within just attracts into your life all the people and the places and the things and the circumstances necessary for you to bound ahead. And I don't mean step by step. Yeah, one of the things that I found over the years, and I'm going to be doing a show in the near future on this, and you and I have talked about this, is that there are six fears that everybody wrestles with, negative fears from the day of their birth. Uh, fear of the unknown, fear of abandonment, fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear of loss, and fear of success. And I one... so agree with that, Richard, that at the cabin, I, with your permission, I take six um, um, six, uh, you know, the, the clipboards, not the clipboards, the writing boards that you write on and I put them out, right? And I put one of those fears on each and I ask the audience, okay, I describe the first one, let's say fear of abandonment, and I ask, and I define it, and then I say, well, call out your name, and if there's 25 people there, I end up with 18 or 19 or 20 that call out the names for fear of abandonment or rejection or success, or every one of them have three quarters of the audience's names on there, and then they look across them. They say, wow, I have all this fear. And what you taught me, and I think this audience should know, is that if you find out and can, can identify the most significant fear in your life, if you take that one down, all the rest start to crumble. Yeah, because there's one of those six is always our number one fear. And if we face it, the other five diminish. If we never face it, then the rest of them start increasing their power in our life. Absolutely. And you know, I believe that uh, confusion and fear are the top two enemies that people face in their life every single day. I agree, and it's sad, but, but you know what? Programs like this, the books you write, and, and all of the... In today's technology, people can bathe themselves in the opposite attitudes. And, you know, fear is not a physical thing. It's not put in there. It doesn't reside in a little tumor in your brain. It's just a belief system and, uh, that, w that came to you. You weren't born with it except for the fear of heights and, and loud noises. But all the rest was acquired. So if something is acquired, it stands to reason, to me at least, that it can be uh, studied, understood, identified, and eliminated. Yes. And... You know, the more we control those fears, the greater the freedom in our life. That's why, Richard, I said that one of those foundational stones, which I prefer to call gemstones now, the, you know, I have 12 of them really to change my life and too many to discuss right now in our time restraints. But the first one it's, is it's all in your head. And I coined that expression way back in 1980. And I still think of it that way every day as the five most important words I've ever used. You know, the, it's all in your head, the way you walk, the way you talk, the way you think, the way, the way you view things, your, your successes and your humiliation and your triumphs and, and all of the things, the components in your life are all in your head. And if, oh, if we could only put them in a better order, in a more positive way, Richard, you know what happens to people. You've seen it. You do it. Yes. I mean, it goes back to my thought. You're perfectly designed to achieve what you're achieving. Ah, perfect. You know, it's, you know, it's all in your head refers to your self-image and self-esteem. You know, the, who you be, not what you do. Everybody asks me, tell me what to do to become more successful. Tell me what to do to have more money. Tell me what to do to attract a mate into my life. Do, 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 do. And everyone's walking around full of do, do. And nobody says, who do I have to be 
to be the person, to have the concepts and visions and ideas and feelings that attracts into my life what I want versus me doing something. Of course, it's a physical world. We need to take action steps, but first comes the belief, the be, the goodness, the, the attachment to the universe, the larger concepts, the generosity, the forgiveness, all the universal laws. And then when you put that to the do, the action steps, then the re- that results in a feeling about you, a charisma, an aura that just makes things happen. So it goes back to the, my concept of behavior never lies? I love that. I love it, love it, love it. In fact, I told you once when you and I were having a luncheon somewhere, when you said you were writing the book some years ago, Behavior Never Lies, and for whatever reason I misplaced it, and I just went on your website and ordered another copy, and you were generous enough right, to send me another copy with no charge. Woo, I saved a lot of money that day. It was a good day. But anyhow, I read, the, I read that book all the time because Behavior Never Lies. You and I can identify people in our audience by their their postures, the colors they wear, the people they hang out with, the cadence of of their speech, the words they select. We can identify where they're coming from. Are they timid? Are they brave? Do they have courage? Do they have a vision? Or are they just repeating the same old circle of sameness, the same habit patterns? I believe, Richard, and I think you would agree, I'm sure you would agree, that it's who you are, not what you do, that determines how well whatever you do works. Yeah, and that's when, like when we was talking about in the opening, everybody has a core. There's a core inside of all of us. And sometimes we stray away from that core, and the further we get away from the core of our life, the more confusion we create for our life. You know, the funny thing is right up at the beginning of this, when you were doing your intro, you asked the question, who are you at the core of your being? I think that's the way you put it. Yes. Uh, is that the person you want to be? And one of the great uh, talks that I've ever heard and books I ever read was Jim Madrid's book called Entelechy, E-N-T-E-L-E-C-H-Y, Entelechy. And that means the core essence, down deep inside, who are you? Who is Richard? What makes you tick? Who are you? And, what, and, and by the way, whoever you are, you must express in your behavior, hence behavior never lies. You must. If you're an angry person inside, is it the person that cuts you off inadvertently on the way to work driving? Is, is that what causes your anger? Or is the anger already in you waiting for a place to express itself? <laughs> hey, listen, the second of your gemstones I found real interesting. You call it MFTP. Yes, I call it MFTP, and it stands for Mother, Father, Teachers, and Preachers. In other words, if I believe, and I do, that we're a potpourri of all our past inputs, whether they were delivered and received by you intentionally and on purpose or inadvertently and subtly without specific intent, for instance, if you live in your home, in your environment, well, then your parents and your schooling and your peers and your religious training and the masses and the movies you watch and what you read and what you see, hear, smell, all gave you input. But the most important input, I believe, comes from the M, the mother, which stands for, in my opinion, and in most cases, the most influential um, uh, uh, person in your whole life, the matriarchal influence, who sets the basic framework of your self-image. She's the love giver, the caretaker, the nurturer, you know, and the one who attempts to protect you and keep you safe, which is good or bad, but it's also where you learn your lessons of guilt you worry, blame, and anxiety. And then the father stands for the old-fashioned disciplinarian, the macho strength um, and masculine influence. Traditionally, uh, dad 
was incorrectly labeled as the head of the family and the breadwinner, not so t in today's generation, but he's a big influencer. So the T in teacher, Richard, stands for anyone or anything that has ever taught you anything that you believe to be true. The T references much more than your professional teachers. It refers to what you see and read, your experiences and interpretations, the lessons you've learned from living, from history, from observation, whatever it is. Anyone that, that taught you something as a teacher. And finally, the P, which I say stands for preacher, but that's not in the context of only clergy people. The P refers to uh, anyone who has, over time, repeated something to you enough times and with enough enough conviction and authority to have gained the peace of your mind. So they say, you're ugly, you're ugly, you're fat, you're ugly, and then you start to believe them. And that's what I mean a preacher. Anyone, from peer pressure on, anyone that does is able to influence you. So ending this segment, let me just say we were taught and we accepted from our mothers, fathers, teachers, and preachers some limited thinking which has caused many of us to grow up like I did, believing and doing things in the same old way, and we wonder why we get the same old results. You know, Larry, when I look at this, what I see is the, the concept of a total family, mother, father, teacher, and preacher. To me, that's the total power of influence. And would, would you say that one of the challenges that we're facing today is that there has been a weakening in our society of the mother, father, teacher, and preacher? Yeah, well, you know what? It's a global world now. It's a global economy. Uh, kids, my own grandchildren, my five-year-old is computer literate, and, I, and then my other uh, uh, granddaughter, one that's 10, right, has to be blocked by what she can access on her computer, <laughs> you know, from pornography on and all these television shows. So it's a global thing. It's the, the little family that was the influence where I sat around in my living room with my mother and father, and we watched TV programs together. That almost never happens today because the kids are just out there in the world. So I agree with you. It is a family, and it's a good way to look at it. Okay, number three, gemstone. Circle, circle. Circle, circle just means very simply, if a geometric uh, diagram is a circle, it has no beginning, it has no end, it's, a, it's perfectly in balance, it's part of the universe. So uh, 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 metaphorically, I use a circle to say the circle of right intent. And I think that most people grow up in right intent. They want to be healthy, they want to be happy, they want to do good and have some value in life. So they have right intent. And I think if they tell the truth, which doesn't mean the truth as opposed to a lie. It means the truth being the best them they know how to be. If they make the effort, if they're moving forward, if they're growing and expanding all the time, then their experience would be another circle. So the circle of right intent, them working on it diligently would produce a circle of their experience. They would experience what they intended to do in the first place, which is circle, circle. On the other hand, if people start off with right intent, which most do, and they tell a lie, but that doesn't mean a lie as opposed to the truth. It means they're not the best them they could be. They take shortcuts. They, they, they bend the rules a little bit. They're just not out there. They're not taking responsibility for themselves. Then the experience, instead of a circle, will be a triangle when the two don't fit together. A circle and a triangle do not match. So I just teach it. I talk a circle, circle. So the circles, if they don't match, geometrically or in life, right? So the circle, circle equals success, and circle, triangle equals failures. So if you had a choice, Richard, which would you pick, circle, circle, or circle, triangle? I want the circle, circle. And you got it, buddy. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, this is, again, what I have found over the years in working with people. I think every human, very few exceptions, has a desire to succeed and improve their life. I think so. But they get trapped in this emotional jungle where their emotions begin to override their desire. And enough emotions can paralyze human desire. You know, I just wrote an article that calls Emotions Overcome Logic. So it doesn't really matter how logical something mm-hmm. is. And what you tell person, you can drum in the logic and have an order to it, and it's all right, and it's all correct, and it's all packaged. But if someone has an emotion of fear, for instance, they just won't go near the logic. The, over, the emotions overcome it. Absolutely. Number four, gemstone. What's so? What's so is just an expression that means that you have to take total responsibility for your own life and you have to decide to live in your cause and not others' effects. So what so means, I see what is. What is, is the intellectual truth of the matter. No fudging it, no going around the corners. It says, I see what is, not what I wished was or what I hoped was or what I thought was, not what uh, I dreamed was going to happen, not what could have, should have, would have been if only Ida, but actually what's the truth of the matter. So what is, is good for me or bad for me. And in, in, in my belief system, there is no good, there is no bad, there is no fault, there is no credit, there's no reward. There's just what's so, which means an enlightened person understands who they are, what's so about them, and what's so about life. So the, the essence of life goes back to the choices we make? I think so. And the choices we make come from what we input in our mind, the evidence that we put there. Yeah. And so what happens if I'm a person who I input through my emotions and it, it never gets to my mind because of the fact that my emotions uh, redefine it? Oh, absolutely. That, that's, that is the block. See, the point is that the, the left brain, the conscious brain, you know, the mathematical and logical and, and the languaging brain gives you thoughts. And it is emotion that absolutely opens the passageway from left brain to right brain, from conscious mind to superconscious or subconscious brain. But anything that goes in with emotion, that gets inputted into you with emotion, gets buried in the subconscious mind, and that's what happens to you, whatever that belief is. And that's why your emotional component that you were talking about is so important. Emotions open the trapdoor between conscious and subconscious. And, and the subconscious mind is like a garden. And whatever you plant in it, you're going to get back, whether it's neat rows of corn and parsley and tomatoes or whatever, or a haphazard uh, a garden coming from scattering seeds, you know, in any which direction. Number five, gemstone. I like this one. Stuck in your stuff. Uh, stuck in your stuff is a metaphorical saying, which means fixed in a negative habit pattern where you accept only what you already believe in and already agree with. So you're not open to new concepts and visions. And because you have accepted this as part of your makeup, you unconditionally reject anything else, such as new concepts and more expanded thinking. So it's survival living. It's, 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 um, it comes from needing to be right and needing to win. It's an ego thing. It's the wrong or right kick. So being stuck in your stuff, Richard, comes from what I call mother, father, teacher, preacher, pre-programming. Mm-hmm. They taught you limiting thinking, and now without realizing it, you believe that you believe that your life and the things that happen to you are shaped by circumstances. 
forces, by external forces, and you become an outer-directed person, which is 80% of the world, you know, are outer-directed, and 20% of the world that seem to have a magic wand, the Midas touch, that seem to just attract what they need for success, you know, we think they have an insurance policy against failure, but it's not true. The truth is that this successful minority are inner-directed people. They have learned that they are the cause, and the circumstances in their lives are their effect. So sucking yourself means just stuck. Un- you say you're willing to get thin, but you're not willing to diet. That's sucking your stuff. All right, number six, uh, passage of pain. Well, that's an easy one. That's just I had to find out for, if I had to go from where I was emotionally and physically in my world years ago until I started my journey on moving towards success, I found out that there's a passage of pain. It's the real or perceived difficulty that a person experiences when attempting to transform themselves from one dimension of behavior to another from their old way of thinking and feeling to another, and from the old stuck-in-your-stuff negative habit patterns to new, fresher, freer, more positive ones. That's the passage of pain. It's the tunnel that you must go through from where you are now to where you want to be. One of the things I've learned recently, Larry, and it's just become real apparent to me, is that one of the challenges with most people in their growth journey is that they associate growth with pain. Oh, yes, they do. And that's amazing to me because growth is painful to them because it's um, uh, uh, they're comfortable one way and they have to be a little uncomfortable to grow. They have to learn new things. They have to adapt and refine and modify their thinking and their behavior. They've got to get used to a new environment. And that's painful to people. And that comes from fear again. And so they start to back up. They want to be comfortable. The worst thing I've ever heard someone say to me when I'm speaking to them or coaching them on the telephone, they say, well, I'm just comfortable. I want to be comfortable. And anyone that says that never, ever achieves success or I've never seen it. I just want to be comfortable. It's not a comfortable world. If you want to be comfortable, stick your thumb in your mouth, wrap yourself in a blanket, put on a fire, and watch some TV, and you're comfortable. But you won't achieve anything. Right. we got a minute and a half before we go to break. So number seven, my fee is my fee is my fee. Uh, that just means that it, requ- it requires an explanation. Whatever you charge for your product, your service, let's say your fee, my fee as a, as a professional person with patients, my fee is my fee is my fee. It's not $50 for you and 40 for you and 30 for you and I'll pay you. It's not a shell game. It's the value you put on your product and services, what it's worth, and it doesn't vary. And the reason I got this, Richard, is because you and I fly a lot and I hate to pay $350 for an airline ticket and the person next to me, right in the next seat, is paying 140 I think it, whatever it is, it should be. What's so about that you know and i agree with you wholeheartedly because i i have a, a an ethical challenge with people who it's this for you and it's this for you and it's this for you right i mean because and it's seduction it's seduction if you lower absolutely. the price you're seducing someone to do business with you because most average 80 percenters want something free or cheap right i say it's the 20 percent that attract into life the people that are way are willing to pay the price for the value they're going to receive we're talking about gemstones for living and for your life. Okay, Larry, here's the next one. Success comes from you, not to you. 
I love this one because I had to learn it. I always thought that success was outside me, that I can go and buy it or get it or something would happen to me. Success comes from you, not to you, implies that you are responsible for all you create or fail to create and that all the ingredients of success are inside you. You were born with them. It was free. And some of the ingredients include your concepts and your visions, your ideas, your belief, attitudes, energies, the law of attraction, all which reside in you, right? And all that attract everything you need into your life to make, give you the ingredients of the achievement you want. So I think it's inside us. And what I did, Richard, and what you did is we changed our belief systems and the way we thought, which is inside us, and then what happened on the outside just expressed the change that was in on the inside. You know, one of the most powerful things you said, you said just a little earlier, and then you put it back here. And there's a vast difference between a human who lives inside out and outside in. That's and true. To me, That's the true. major difference is the foundation of self-worth. Right. Okay. I love this one. Gemstone number nine. If you're not early, you're late. I like this one because I can stand in front of an audience of, of <laughs> thousands of people and yell out, these are my people tutored by me. And I would say, if you're not early and they yell out, then you're late. And, and since <laughs> punctuality is a tenet of success and procrastination is a characteristic of poor self-image and failure, I want to say that again. Procrastination is a killer of dreams. It is the cancer of a brain. And it's a characteristic of a poor self-image and failure. And since it's almost impossible to be exactly on time, it stands to reason that it's far better to be early than late. You know what? If you're early, you get the first choice. If you're late, you get the scraps. You get the leftovers. It's cold. It's out of style. It's, it, it, it's not labeled correctly. So the expression, the early bird catches a worm, means that if you're on time or late, everything left over will be diminished or gone. But if you're early, it will be fresh and plentiful. You know, one of the things I've learned because I identify people with five major challenges in their life, confusion, fear, doubt, and disorganization. And then when you put those four together in a package, the result of that is procrastination. Okay, number 10. And procrastination, Richard, is probably the personality characteristic that you say behavior never lies. Mm -hmm. If people watch and observe their own behavior and find that they're procrastinated, they keep putting things off, that is the symptom or indication that they need help. Absolutely. Number 10, and I love this one also, there is no such thing as a try. Well, that simply means that you are either in the active process of doing something or you're not. For example, if I ask you to try and take a uh, hat off my head, you would most likely reach up and perhaps tentatively, but nevertheless, you would actually take it off my head. And my response would probably be an, apologize, an apology to you for being unclear with my instructions. And then I would repeat it louder and slower. Richard, you know, with more enunciation, I want you to try to take the hat off my head, but you actually took it off my head, so why don't we try it again? And now you'd probably put your hand up more tentatively even this time, and you'd hold the peak of the cap, but you would not take it off my head. So you actually didn't. And the key here is either you do something or you don't do it. Anything that says a try is a lie. A try is a lie. In other words, I'm trying to lose weight. Who says that? A heavy person. I'm trying to stop drinking. Who says that? A drinker. I'm trying to uh, whatever. Stop drinking. Uh, a drinker or a smoker or whatever it happens to be, whatever the compulsive behavior is. So I say there's no such thing as a try. You're in the active progression of doing something or you're procrastinating. <laughs> I couldn't agree with you more. Number 11, 
good enough is not good enough. Good enough is never good enough for someone that is fully engaged in the process of self-discovery or personal growth. Good enough is a phrase of mediocrity. It means I know it could be better, but it's not worth my effort and time, and I can get by or get away with it. And I go like this, ugh, perish that thought. <laughs> no one just gets by. It's either butter or it's margin, and you cannot fool the universe. So good enough is not good enough is mediocrity. And doesn't that go back to fear? Well, all of this, I think, have a mm -hmm. fear component. Yes, it does. You know, they're afraid to do good. Excellence is its own reward. So you work on your radio program. You work on your books. You rewrite and you rewrite and you rewrite and you juxtapose things until you know this is better. And then you go to sleep. And just when you're ready to give your book to the publisher, I've seen it. You take it back and rewrite <laughs> another 10 pages, always making it better. That's why you're successful. All right. Number 12. Belief is the master. We are the slaves. So I love this one, too, and I, I read this somewhere, and I just used the title. And if I could summarize into one word the entire essence of most success programs, I think that word would be belief. And the purpose of the success-striving mechanism within you is to achieve that which you believe to be true, That is the because that's the way our brain functions. Like it or not, believe it or not, belief is the master. We are the slaves. So we are the slaves to what is internally in our mind rattling around all day. So it, it, it's been said, and we've all heard this, whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're probably right. And the exciting thing about reprogramming yourself in the area of the belief is that you can program and recondition yourself to anything you want. So just imagine that, uh, for the people listening here, just imagine what you would feel like if you could and would retrain yourself and can actually and automatically think more positive thoughts. Yes, I can. I'm able to do whatever I want to do. I'm free. I could be vice president of the United States, whatever it is. So developing a new belief system can happen to anyone at any age, but it does take some diligence and attention, and it can't be left to chance. Remember that your self-image was formed in your childhood, mother, father, teacher, preacher, and it won't go away until you make it go away. So I'm, I'm going to say to you that the lesson here is to do, examine all your beliefs and work on changing or eliminating any that are limiting or restrictive in nature. Change your beliefs, and you change your thinking. Change your thinking, and you change your feelings. Change your feelings, and you change what you attract into your life. Wow. Larry... If someone who's listening would like to gather some information about the cabin experience, how would they get it? Uh, www.thecabinexperience.com. <laughs> <laughs>